So what did your prayer sound like this morning? What did you come to God with? Did it sound something like, Father, protect me today. Allow me to be healthy. Allow me to make it to church this morning safe so I can speak. God, protect my children, protect my wife. Be with them where they are right now. Did yours sound anything like that? Maybe yours sounded like, God, please allow Pastor Jeremy to be back so I don't have to deal with these backup pastors anymore. (laughs) Part of your prayer was answered. He's back. You still have me. I wonder, after digging through this text this past week, if our prayers should sound a little different. And if our prayers would sound something like, God, Today, give me a trial. Give me suffering. So that way, ultimately, I can learn how to find joy in that. So that way, I can be tested and show my faithfulness in you and allow you to show your faithfulness to me. So that way, I can grow in my faith and gain perseverance and patience and endurance. God, give me something that I can't handle, so I have to rely on you today. I wonder if that's what our prayers are supposed to sound like after I dig through James. What I'm going to ask is that we read it together, just chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And at that point, or I'll read it, and after that, we'll dig back through it a little bit more. So you can follow along with me or take the Bibles that you have in front of you. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So who's James? Let's understand a little bit about where this is coming from before we get into some of what his words are. So James is the oldest of Jesus' brothers. So right away, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where's he coming from? Where's his heart in this? The text shows us, and our scripture shows us in John uh, chapter 7, verse 5, that none of the brothers believed that Jesus was actually the Messiah. We also read in Mark 3, 21, that ultimately at some point, they thought Jesus was talking pretty crazy. They thought the things that he was saying meant that he needs to be locked up, and they tried to go and get him and try to rescue him from himself or from the others. So James although he's a brother, isn't a believer during his childhood days growing up with Jesus. James becomes a believer after Jesus dies, comes back to life three days later, and has a conversation with him. Then he's all in. And this is the James that we're getting the scripture from today. And you know, I'm I'm thinking, if I were James, maybe my intro would sound a little different. Maybe my intro would be something very simple like, hey, this is James. You know, Jesus' brother? Yeah, that's kind of a good name drop. Like, I grew up with this guy. You know, the God that you're all talking about? That's my brother. So let me just spell this out for you, and you should probably listen up. But instead, he says, this is James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we hear his heart from verse 1, that I am a servant of Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords. So he's coming from a place of humility in a humble heart. 
And now he's writing this to the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes are the Jewish Christians that were in Jerusalem. And now they are scattered. Why? Well, this text is written shortly after Acts 7 and Acts 8. In those chapters, Stephen just became the first martyr and was stoned to death. Persecution ran rampant in Jerusalem. And all the Jewish Christians there scattered. Their job then, going out, sharing the gospel, and planting churches. So they've just been through trial. They're continuing to go through trial. They just watched Stephen die. They've been persecuted. They are familiar with trials. And here's the letter that goes out to them, commenting on trials. So it's, it's no mystery why James, who has a five-chapter book here, starts off, hey, this is James, hear my heart, and now let me get into this whole idea. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Your first bulletin outline, the fill in the blanks, expect trials and be prepared for them. So in the text, it doesn't say if you face trials of many kinds. It says when you face trials of many kinds. This is a given. It's going to happen. We need to expect it, and we need to be prepared for it. So what are these trials of many kinds? I may ask a rhetorical question and say, what trial are you bringing in with you this morning? What isn't up to your level of what you wish it would be this morning? Or what has it been? Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it's been the last couple weeks or couple months, but what's your trial? And I think that would fit in under various trials. There's trials of physical pain, endurance, injury, maybe it's illness. We have relational trials. Anybody butting heads with a spouse, with children, with friends, with family, with coworkers, neighbors, random strangers that you come across. There's relational trials that we come to. Struggling with work, maybe it's some aspect at work, maybe it's people at work, maybe it's trying to find work for some people. That's a struggle and that's a trial. How about going into the doctor's office, having tests read to you, and hearing those words of, it's positive. We now have to talk about a treatment plan. That's a trial that would fit under various kinds. We have natural disasters that come at any moment. Any of our trials, we don't often get to plan. We don't get the idea that, hey, next Thursday, you're going to be sick. At what point would you like that? Uh, preferably about 11 at night so I can kind of sleep through the most of it. We don't get those opportunities. The phone call can ring at any times, and we're stuck. We're in a trial. So we need to be prepared for it and know that it's coming. The bad part is we can be our own worst enemy when trials hit. We can be in the struggle and cause ourselves to struggle more. How do we do this? Well, it's pretty easy to look around when we're facing struggles and we're facing trials and we're suffering to go, well, how come I'm suffering but he's not? Why do I have to deal with this but she doesn't have to deal with this? Why is it only me who's ever dealing with this kind of a thing? Why does everybody else have it so good? Well, we've got this thing called social media. And if you're anything like me, every now and then you go on there. And I'm more of a Facebook guy. So I'll scroll through all these pictures and scroll through all these statements that people are making. And what do you see? You don't see the trial. You don't see the struggle. You don't see the suffering. You see the pictures of happy marriages. You see the pictures of perfect kids dolled up, not throwing their temper tantrums in the middle of Walmart. They are cheerful and wonderful. 
you get this idea that somebody just got this new house, somebody just got this new job, somebody just got this new car. Everybody's got it so good but me. Why am I the only one? And I think part of that is our own reluctance to share that with others. I've heard this now. I, I spoke a little bit about this last week, and it came to light two more times this week where it was essentially the same conversation. You know, how are things going? Well, it's all right, but, but I don't tell anybody about that. Why not? They've got it worse than I do. You know, it's only this. They're here. I can't talk to people. I know that other people have it worse, so why would I share that with people? We have to stop doing that. I would love for us just to agree. We have to stop minimizing the trials that we're going through and be willing to share that with others. That's our role here. What's our role in this Why God world? It's to be able to come alongside of people and encourage and build one another up. So I'm going to just encourage one another. Share with each other. How many times have you ever said, hey, talk to somebody and say, yeah, this is, this is kind of a struggle I've got going on right now. And how many times has that person responded with, oh, I've been there too. Maybe I'm going there right now. How many times can we share things and learn from one another and help one another and be there for one another because we're willing to share the struggle with one another? So when these trials hit us, they will hit us unexpectedly. Peter talks about that in his first book. In chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So if we aren't supposed to be surprised when these trials hit, that we should be ready for them, how do we make sense of that? And the way that I think of it is, um, you know, I haven't ever been a firefighter or a, or a paramedic. I've watched a couple movies about that and seen some TV shows, so I think I've got a pretty good idea of what they do. <laughs> and any time I see it, like, it's like they're hanging out, bell goes off, and poof, they fly into action. They weren't expecting when the fire came. They didn't know. They didn't get any sort of advance warning. They didn't know that somebody was going to have a medical need at 312 in the afternoon. So, hey, 305, they're getting ready and they're already there. You have no clue. The call comes in and they instantly respond and react. Why and how? They're trained. They know their manual. They know their policies. They know how to do this. They know the steps to take. They know the guys on their team. And they know each person's role and responsibility. So when they come to it, all they have to do is get into action. They are prepared for it. So how do we take that into our spiritual lives and understand that we will face trials? No, we don't know when they come, but how are we prepared for them? I would say it's the same model. So can we know our manual and have our playbook ready, already known to us, or at least ready to also dig into it when the trial comes? Can we know our leader How's our relationship with our leader? Do we know his expectations? Do we have a conversation with him during those trials? Or are we just trying to figure it out at that time? Can we be prepared to be able to have those conversations? Do we have our team in place? Do we have those around us that we know that when the trial comes, not if, but when the trial comes, we've got others here to rely on that can build one another up? How can we be prepared for this, even though it's expected? Let's go on in James. And we know it's expected. And he continues in verse 3. says, Because we know that the testing of your faith 
produces perseverance. What do we take from that? It says we don't know the strength of our faith until we're tested. We don't know the strength of our faith until we go through the trials. Okay? There's two words here that I just want to separate a little bit. And the first one is testing, and the second one is produce. Okay? Testing, what's a test? Well, I look back to my, my school days or teaching days when I was in a classroom. What's a test do? Well, typically, you've got your test. Maybe it's a quarter test, semester ex exam, something along those lines. So all this time before, we're reading our books, we're going to the lectures, we're doing the class projects, we're doing the papers, we're studying, we're getting all this in line for the test. We're preparing for the test. And then what does the test show? The test shows all of everything that we've known. The test shows our skills and our abilities currently, where we're at. It doesn't gauge anything here. All it does is tell us where we are currently at. The test that we face, the trials we face today, tomorrow, whenever it comes, reveals the strength of our faith right now and today. The second part of that is that produce word. What does it produce? What does that testing produce? That produces perseverance in us. There's a couple other ways that we can hear perseverance. One could be endurance, to endure that. Another one can be patience. So the tests that we go through, we gain perseverance, endurance, and patience by going through these as well. Something else that Purdue can tell us is that, or what we can look at it as, or perseverance, I'm sorry, it's walking with God even though my earthly circumstances tell me I should walk away. As we go through the trials, we produce perseverance. That tells us that we are walking with God, that perseverance we're gaining. It tells us that we should be walking away from God, but yet we, as strong in our faith and tested, can walk with him through that and gain perseverance. In verse 4, talking about perseverance, says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The perseverance that comes from facing trials molds us into mature and complete Christians. What's a mature and complete person look like? It's different for our earthly desires and what the world sees it as and what the church sees it as and what Jesus sees it as. The world would tell us that mature looks like it does on Facebook. Looks like somebody who's got it all together. Looks the part. They've got the nice job. They've got the nice family. They've got the wealth. They've got the car. They've got, the ho they've got it together. That's what our world tells us mature looks like. But what we're looking for, if that's our idea of going through trials and becoming mature in our Christian faith, we're going to be sadly disappointed because God's got a different plan for us. Ultimately, someday we're going to go and meet him. And he's going to have gone through, we're going to have gone through all these trials. And what's our maturity look like? I kind of think about it. We're taking all these tests along the way. Maybe we've got this report card that's going to be coming in. And what's our report card going to show? If we're looking for maturity, what we can ask for is opportunities to prove our maturity. The testing of our faith allows us opportunities to mature in our faith. C.S. Lewis said something that I think is kind of interesting. He said, God whispers in our pleasure, but shouts in our pain. And as I thought about that, I'm, I'm thinking, I feel like the inverse is more accurate. Because I think I whisper to God in my pleasure when things are going really well, but when they're not going really well, and a trial hits and a struggle hits, that's when I shout. 
And that's when I say, I need some help here. I need something. Because it's not often until we hit our knees and we hit rock bottom that we finally start looking up. Research has shown us that the Sunday after 9-11, churches across denominations throughout America had a 25% increase in attendance that morning on that Sunday alone. Why would that be? Because during trials, during suffering, and during all this questioning, when people start to get down, there's only one way to look, and that's up. So what comes out of us when we're tested? What comes out of us when we're in the trials? What do other people see in us? There's a doctor by the name of Francis Collins, and he's a, a, a scientist. And he's got a story that talks about seeing other people go through the trials, seeing other people go through the suffering and the impact it had on his life. Let me give you a quick bio on who Francis Collins is. No one knows better than Dr. Francis Collins how easy it might be for scientists to play God. As the director of the National Human Genome Research Institute since 1993, what some call the most prestigious job in science, Collins has led the effort to decode human DNA along the way, developing a revolutionary method of screening genes for disease. Yet, according to his widely respected scientist, the newfound power to read our own instruction book is no obstacle to faith and the existence of God. He converted from atheism to Christianity in his 20s after seeing how radically his patients' faith transformed their experience of suffering. Some 30 years later, he stands by his convictions, positioning science not as a substitute for theology, but as a subset of it. Now these are his words going in to talk about how he went from quantum mechanics and wanted to get into to medicine. He said, so it was really a, as a medical student and later as a resident, encountering the realities of what disease and the specter of death does to human beings that I began to wonder about this. Some of my patients were clearly relying very heavily on their faith as a source of strength in their circumstances that were pretty awful. They had terrible diseases from which they were probably not going to escape. And yet, instead of railing at God, they seemed to lean on their faith as a source of great comfort and reassurance. They weren't, somehow, perceiving it as the really awful thing that it seemed to be to me. And that was interesting and puzzling and unsettling. And that's what turned him from an atheist to a Christian by seeing other people in their suffering responding to continue to praise God during their storm. We have that same opportunity during our trials and during our suffering for other people to see God through us when we're starting to get squeezed from it. So I was about here on Thursday night at this point of finishing uh, my message. And I wasn't feeling complete. And I felt like the thing that I couldn't grasp yet was the word joy. So I've been able to understand James and I understand how the testing is going to happen and, and it's, it's, it's not an if but it's a when and I understand the difference of testing and, pers- and uh, producing and what that's going on and how we are tested in our faith but yet he's also working in us and I get the fact that we're going to grow but how do we find joy in this as it tells us to? So this is my prayers. I went to bed Thursday night. God, I need help with this. I don't understand this joy part and how to make sense of this and how to relate it. Friday morning, about 4 a.m., 4.07 comes. And I'm woken up. Oh, if anybody's ever had a migraine before, I'm guessing I'm not the only one, you kind of get that. 
it is, want, everything wants to come out, and it is tight. And sometimes what I can try to do is just roll over and, okay, where's that one spot where I can get a little bit of relief so I can fall back asleep, and hopefully this thing's done by then. But this one was something special, and it didn't have that comfortable spot where I can find relief. So after a while of rolling around and struggling, I make my way, I get up, and I take some medication. Like, maybe that'll help, and I'm, I go back to bed and try that whole rolling thing, and a while longer, I'm like, okay, I gotta try something different. Clearly not working. So I make my way into the living room. I'm like, maybe the couch, maybe if I prop myself up, maybe if I sit up in the chair and just try to let things drain, whatever's in there needs to get out. No relief. About 5.30, I'm like, I need to make another transition. I need to make that one quick. And I'm now in our bathroom. If anybody's ever had migraines, you may understand this position as well. And uh, I don't know how some people do this uh, when you're sick. Some people uh, can handle themselves well, I guess, if I would say. Uh, um, not many people know about it, maybe. Uh, volume's under control. For me, we are probably in about a five-mile radius. Anybody in Francis Creek, uh, maybe the northern side of Manitowoc, Michigan area, you heard something about 5.37 on Friday morning, a little rumbling, you didn't know what it was. Sorry. Oh. So here I am amidst this trial, and my head is just still pounding, and now my throat is sore, and it feels like I just found one of those like 10-minute uh, abs kind of ordeals, and it's into shape. And that's at the point where I said, okay, God, joy? You know, I picture joy as this like smiling, fun, jumping up and down, the celebration. We rejoice in this joy now. I feel like this is a trial I've got. And I remember last night talking to you and saying, like, I need to get this better picture of joy. All right, maybe I'll try and fake it. Can I smile? <laughs> no, that didn't work. So as I'm here and I'm trying to struggle, I'm like, what do I make of this joy? I hear little pitter-patters coming in the door. And first one comes in and, Daddy, are you okay? Two more pitter-patters quickly come in. Second one, Daddy, we heard you. <laughs> uh-huh. I bet you did. And the pitter-patters get closer. You get the hand on the shoulder. Daddy, is there anything we can do for you? And it's that point that I started to understand. You know, I'm not convinced that joy needs to be a smiling occasion. I'm not convinced that joy needs to become me trying to jump up and down through this migraine and stomach issues. But at that moment, when I thought, wow, I've got three little ones and a little bit taller one coming in to check on daddy and just to see if they could offer any support. Joy filled my heart. And so I still didn't smile. And I still didn't jump up and down. What I did was take some more medication and went to bed. But I think I 
felt what God was trying to put on my heart for the rest of this time. And his joy can be a feeling that comes through him, through his people. Joy can be felt in comfort and compassion of one another. So I was very much filled with joy. Not what I always expected joy to look like, but filled with joy in that trial Friday morning. So how do we find this joy through the scriptures? I think there's three more words that I just want to highlight. One in verse 2, one in verse 3, and one in verse 4 to really try to wrap this up. How do I find this joy? The first word in, is consider in, in verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Another idea with consider, think deeply about this. Think deeply about what you're going through right now. Try to understand it, what's going on. When I think deeply about something, I'm going to look back. I'm going to understand, God has put me through trials before, or he has walked through trials before with me, and he has not forsaken me then, and he is not going to now. So I've got that that I can think deeply on and rely on. And here's another question that I want to pose as I'm thinking about this. Have any of you ever been through a trial before that have ultimately you can look back on and say something like, you know, that wasn't fun. I don't want to do that again necessarily, but I'm really glad I went through it. Or maybe you had something to the line of, you know what, that was not good. That was suffering. But having gone through it, I'm a better person now. Or maybe you say something to the effect of, you know what, that was hard. And I didn't know how I was going to get through it. But in that, I found the faithfulness of God. And I found myself being faithful to him. And now I have a stronger relationship with him, having gone through that. Think, consider the past to tell us where we are now. In verse 3, there's a word saying no. We want to know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. No is sent in the present. This is happening right now. So can we consider what happened in the past, get caught up in the present, and in that suffering, understand that God is with us and he is for us and he will never forsake us. And I don't know necessarily why I'm going through this, but I trust and believe that he's got a greater plan that I can understand right now because I know what he's done in the past and he has been faithful and I've learned from it and I'm stronger in my faith and he is going to do that through this one right now. And in verse 4, the word let. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let. It's this invitation. It's this form of submission to Jesus. You know, oftentimes I think we say, I gave my life to Christ. You know, I don't want to be a backseat driver anymore. I'm just going to completely separate. You know what? Jesus, take the wheel. You drive. I am yours. Whatever you call me to do, I am submitting to that until it becomes hard until it becomes doing something that I don't necessarily want to do. Then I'm reaching over and grabbing a wheel and putting the brake on. Can we fully submit and just let him do a work in us that he's trying to do? He doesn't want our trials to be void. He wants them to be for good. And he is trying to use those to strengthen us. So can we find our pure joy through our trials by considering them, 
by knowing that God's working in them and by letting him do a work in us. And if we can find some joy in there that maybe doesn't necessarily go with a smile, maybe it looks a little different than you thought, can we find some joy in that? And then maybe our prayers turn to something a little different than, God, keep me safe and protect me so I don't have to go through this. Maybe they change to, I know you're there with me. I know you've got a greater purpose for this. So give me a test. Give me a trial. Let me show that I'm yours. Let me show others in this that I'm yours. Let them see the work that you're doing in me through this suffering. Let me be reliant on you. Let me trust you. Let me just know that you are doing a work in me. Maybe we can start praying like that. It's my prayer. Let's join in prayer. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm.